Welcome to the Humanize the Numbers podcast series. Leaders, managers and owners of ambitious accounting firms sharing insights, successes and issues that will challenge you and connect you and your firm to the ways and means of transforming your firm's results. Like, I always always relate back to when I had a business many years ago and I was a terrible business owner. Awful. Like, really rubbish. And I tried to do my own accounts and I cannot tell you the, the mess I got myself into. Um, and, you know, I needed to... I, I went to an accountant. They charged me a f- probably more than I would have paid if I'd have gone to them uh, initially. Um, but in the first place. But what I did was I got them to show me what to do and, and educate me around that. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily need to rely on them so heavily the next year. So I could take a grasp of my numbers and take a grasp of what I needed to do. And, and that was transformational for me. It was, I, I saw, like, I, there was two levels of value there. The first level of value was the fact that they got me out of a very deep hole of my own creation. Um, but the second level of value was they, they showed me how not to get into that hole again and how to kind of be better at what I did. And, you know, happy days, right? I walked away from that going, yeah, there was a, 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 a cracking bill on that one. But actually, I feel like I've probably got more out of it than they gave me in terms of the long run. In your accountancy firm, what do you think matters most? The value equation, the perceived value your clients have of your firm or the perceived value your team members have of working in your firm? Well, on this podcast discussion with Phil Hobden of Walters Kluwer now, you'll get the benefit of Phil's experiences working at Futurely, working at Capitalise and now working at Walters Kluwer and how he sees the value, the importance of the value equation between both your clients and your team members. Let's go to that podcast discussion now. Hi, I'm Phil Hobden, uh, newly appointed head of digital team at Walters Kluwer. Previous to that, I worked for three years at, at Capitalize as a head of education. Um, I am a massive movie nerd. Um, I'm a former roller derby player, uh, a current, well, semi-retired roller derby announcer, uh, serial podcaster, and uh, just general all-round geek, I think. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so how, how, how long have you been working with accountants, Phil? So uh, my history with accountants goes back about seven and a half years now. So uh, previous to accountancy, I worked in banking and finance with a, a large um, multinational, or at least then it was a multinational bank. It's a bit smaller these days, um, as most banks are. But um, I, I worked with them for quite a while. And I guess the challenge I faced was I, I found myself being made redundant three times at that bank. And you kind of get to the point where, where you're, on, you're on your third redundancy and you, you start to think, well, I'm going to start to take this personally soon. Right? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> you're definitely trying to get rid of me one way or another. Um, so I, I kind of went out to the market and I was like, look, what else can I do? Where can I take my, my skills? And I saw a job advert for a fintech business. Didn't even know what fintech or accounting tech was back then. Uh, based in Brighton. I'm based in Eastbourne, just down the coast. So I was like, yeah. it could be, you know, it's not going to London. It's not kind of, you know, a, a, a mad kind of location. They were paying pretty good. I spoke to some, this mad person that worked there. And I thought, I, I absolutely, I could work with you. Um, Helen Cockle, Futurely. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I thought I could work with you. And, and we had the interview. And, and the first thing pretty much she said to me was, you know, you don't have to wear a suit and I'll and you'll have a MacBook to work on. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I don't I mean, need the rest. Right. So uh, I'm curious. So you've got Futurely, Capitalise and now Walter's Kluwer. 
on your CV within this industry called the accounting profession. Given all the interactions, all the experience of working with many firms and different fintech companies, what 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 do you what does humanise the numbers actually mean to you, Phil, in based on your experiences? Yeah, oh, that's a, do you know what? Coming on this podcast is something I was thinking about because I thought he's, he's going to ask me that question. He's going to ask me that question. And, <laughs> yeah, well, I ask everyone also, at the beginning. Yes, exactly. And I, I, for me, it's 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 about so what the one thing I've learned um, in this in this industry working with accountants is that small businesses SMEs don't understand their business. They don't understand their numbers. They understand what they do, and that's that's why they do it, right? Because they're great at making a widget or, or providing a service. But but for the majority of businesses, they don't understand what's underneath that. And it's it's working in this industry and working with accountants that enabled me to see just how important that relationship is. So for me, it's about it's about helping me understand my business as a small business owner from that complete perspective. And understanding how the impact of what I do is across the board. So decisions, macro decisions, micro decisions, how those numbers really work and how they sing and how when you tune them, and it's for me, it's about tuning those numbers. It's about tweaking those numbers, how they can have such dramatic impact on the business. Um, so I guess for me, it's just it's just about... I, I love the way that when you listen to a, an accountant talk to a small business and they kind of start to bring those numbers to life, kind of, you know, not just the profit and loss, but the journey of those numbers and the future of those numbers. And you kind of see that on the business owner's face and they go, I'd never looked at it that way. I'd never thought about it that way. I'd never considered that. I never considered the impact of that. For me, that is, that's humanising the numbers. It, it, it's kind of unlocking that part of the business that maybe I didn't understand or I wasn't that aware of that that I've never really kind of dived deep into and having someone that can really talk to me on my level um and and kind of bring that to life and and and, and make it sing to me yeah making that their own business sing to them that's an interesting uh, an interesting phrase also you, you talk about uh, unlocking I think unlocking insight through the numbers so that they yes. feel a deeper connection with what decisions they need to make and therefore the actions they need to take in order to then create a better business presumably is yeah. that is that what you meaning by that yeah it, it is if you think that, that like it, so I've worked the last three and a bit years in the in the finance side of this industry sure um and one of the things that that, that surprised me most was the behaviors of the small business and what I mean by that is, if you're a small business, on average, you will start to look for funding seven days before you need it. Now, Paul, yeah. think of the last time you went, you booked a holiday, right? I mean, mm. I know, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, you know, booking holidays was a while ago. Um, it was so 2019 booking a holiday. <laughs> but like, but now you think about that, if, if I'm booking a holiday, I've today, I've literally booked a holiday for October 2023. I'm not wow. normally that organised, but Centre Parks gets booked up pretty quick. Yeah, it, um, does. it does. It does. So, so, but I'm thinking that far ahead. Now, the majority of those business owners will do the same. They'll be thinking about booking holidays or or everything else. But when it comes to finance for their business, they don't. Half the time, they don't know that they're going to need it in advance. So, it is a last minute decision. It limits choice. It, it, it impacts costings. It it has dramatic effect. Um. And, and in a roundabout kind of way, and going back to your point, that's exactly what I mean, right? It, it's kind of, 
the more expert advice, the more you can understand your business and the financials and, and those core bits behind it, the more you can make more informed, sensible, rational decisions rather than, oh my God, it's all gone wrong. I knee need jerk. to do this. Yeah, knee jerk. And that's exactly it. And that's where a lot of these decisions are. Seven, day, seven days before they to, 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 to look for funding, an hour researching, 80% go direct to the bank. And, and a vast majority then will get will get rejected. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not ideal, right? It, it, it's not a great way to run a business. But but then a lot of businesses, and this is something I've learned again in, in all this time, be it through forecasting, be it through funding, a lot of businesses are scared of the numbers. Mm. You know, they, 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 they like to go, oh, yeah, kind of, you know, we're making a profit. How much can I take out the business? What Where can I reinvest? But actually kind of sometimes those numbers scare them and sometimes they don't want to look at it so sometimes you need someone that can bring that story to life make it sing however you want to put it but Mm. also kind of give you the reality of that business and Mm. and the reality of that position and the reality of what you need to do because you know certainly during the pandemic you know SME small businesses couldn't talk to their banks they were talking to their accountants which is fantastic and that's why I think, truly think, hand on my heart, more businesses survived the pandemic than anyone thought was was going to be was going to happen because the the accountant, the advisor, helped them in a way that they probably didn't understand before or didn't mm. look at before, and you know I think that's a vast a, a, a large proportion of why we a lot a small businesses have come out better than they had or could have done or were predicted to do because. Someone stepped up to take that role, to humanise, to, to make the numbers sing to them, to explain to them, to help them with these tricky decisions. Um, another statistic, you can tell, like, like these are statistics I used to use on my training, but they're great statistics. Like pre-pandemic, 11% of businesses had a cash flow forecast. 11%. Um, someone once described the cash flow forecast as the sat-nav for the business, but then I also had a great counter to that. And someone say, yeah, but to use a sat-nav, you need to have a direction. You need to know where you're going. So actually, a forecast isn't even a sat-nav for a business because most of them don't really know where they're going before they get it. Um, post-pandemic, 35% of businesses have a forecast. Mm-hmm. So treble the amount of businesses that, 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 that kind of use forecasting for their business, which is great. It still means there's sixty five percent out there that, that don't, but you know, small steps, right? We you yeah, know, yeah, in yeah, two yeah. years yeah. we trebled that number. Mm. Where's um, the source of that information, Phil? Where, where, ah, where? so the source of that information was actually um I think it was a report by is it partly based on a report that we did at Capitalize, yeah. market research we did at Capitalize. And I think it was also a report via the CFN and ACCA. Right. Okay, brilliant. So, so, you know, some relatively good, yeah, some relatively good credibility on that one as well. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, So so it occurs to me that, and uh, hopefully this isn't going to uh, have everyone listening to this podcast turn it off, but um, who's responsible for business owners going, realising that they need funding with only seven days before they actually need it? Is that the business owner's fault or is it the accountant's fault? And I, I, I don't want to play the blame game particularly, but it's like someone needs to step up and take responsibility for this. Yeah, well, I mean, look, let's take it up a level, right? Like, I think it's it's absolutely, you could look at it either way and you could say it's it's the, the business's fault for not understanding their numbers. Yeah. it's it's But it's also the, the, the advisor's fault for not advising them. Mm. Now, I use the word advisor really carefully. So I'm not right. saying the accountant's fault, 
Mm. I'm trying to separate the two roles of of the the technical accountancy that a business needs mm. and the advice and advisory work advice that, that, that those business needs. And the mm. reason I separate that is because not you know, if you have if you are having those conversations with your clients, if you're in that relationship with your clients, if you're of that kind of business, or you're you're not just seeing them once a year or, or twice a year, and you're you're kind of having those regular cadences. You would have you you would have been able to support and 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 kind of advise whatever you want to call it that business around that. Mm. If you are if you're having kind of less frequent interactions or you you don't have that kind of advice led relationship with that client, then I I would I would suggest then that the fault probably lies on if you're a business that needs that advice, you need to find the right accountant accountancy firm that can give you that if your business it doesn't need the advice then actually it doesn't matter what the accountancy firm is that you're working with Mm. because you've got that handle because there will be some businesses out there are very good so so where does the blame sit i mean it's it's kind of well see see my my, from a personal level this is it's quite a um prophetic subject really because i i I ran with my father i ran a, a manufacturing business for 12 years uh, just short of 12 years and in that time um we started exporting to uh, the middle east and exporting to america and exporting to scandinavia which is interesting for we made you know individually handcrafted sofas and chairs and we were selling them to the world of great furniture called scandinavia um and <laughs> but that, that was easy relative to the middle east where one needed letters of credit and yeah it was, it was quite complex and we bought a building and um or rather we bought a site and bespoke uh, built something that suited making individually hand crafted sofas and chairs and then we got into real difficulties financially because we opened a chelsea harbour showroom and the world dropped out of furniture because it's the first thing people stopped buying when a recession hit and we went through and so we've got you know landmark challenge after landmark challenge after landmark challenge in that 12 year history and rarely did we ever have a conversation with our accountant about that and how we could make better decisions. Now, I didn't know there were better accountants around, or rather not better, um, better advisors around, you know, because the the accountancy bit was fine, but there's better advice. I didn't know. So business owners don't know what they don't know, are wandering around going, well, all all accounts look like this, when they don't, because there are advisory style accountants. And I think I use that carefully as well. I think that was one of the great things about the pandemic, um, if I can use that 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 flippantly. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely not being flippant about it, right? I mean, we've discussed this. I've I lost uh, a family member during the pandemic. It's absolutely, but you've you've mm. got to kind of look at the, there was some positives, and the positives were banks dropped the ball. Banks yeah. just completely like you know they just went mm, we'll shut the doors. You know, I, I always refer back to Alison Rose, who was who is head of RBS Group, NatWest uh, as it's now known. Um, and she she had to come out and apologise a few days into the pandemic about the fact that their call centre went from 3,000 calls a day to 26,000 calls. And they couldn't service it. I mean, they struggled to service 3,000 calls a yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. They certainly couldn't service 26,000. They certainly couldn't do that when no one was allowed into the office. Mm. Um, and they were still trying to work out the work from home thing. Not mm. specifically their fault, mm. but it, it very quickly showed you the challenges with that kind of 
business, right? Like the, the, the one serving the many and especially how bank branches have closed down, relationship managers have gone, the ability to pick up a phone and speak to your, your RM at your local bank just isn't there. If, it, mm-hmm. if we were 10 years ago and the pandemic happened, mm. the banks would have been a better place to support that. Mm. So because they weren't, a lot, of, a lot of businesses had to phone the next person, which was their accountant. So a lot of businesses very quickly worked out if they had an accountant that, that could facilitate and could support them in that way yeah, yeah. or couldn't. And you make a really good point, right? And I, I think it's a really fair thing to say that when you had, your father had the business, you were helping with that. The accountancy side was perfect, right? There was no yeah. problems with what the, no. the accountancy side of the business. Yeah, the expectations attached to that were met. Exactly. It was the a value add or the added piece around that. Yeah, but I didn't have any expectations of that. And you didn't have any expectations what I didn't know. You, yeah, and that's it. So I think I think now I think I would I would my estimate would be that a lot more businesses are more aware of the ways that they can be supported now the and where they yeah. can get that support. And yeah, yeah. probably what we're seeing is and I I've had this kind of third and fourth hand, but we're seeing people vote with their feet and go you weren't able to support me in the way I needed. So now mm. I'm going to find someone that can. Mm. And conversely, those people that are losing clients are having to go, okay, we now need to see what we can do to to actually change what we do so we can address those shortfalls. So again, you know, trying to kind of look at the positives, everyone's had to, a lot of people start to have to look internally now and look at who they are, what they do, who they serve, how they serve. Yeah, what they stand for. Yeah, what they stand for. Because yeah. why do they exist? Yeah. yeah, because like that change. And, and Paul, kind of, I've known you for probably six years now. I probably met you at the first ZeroCon I ever went to back in whenever it was. Mm. And you know the conversations about um, oh God, I hate you know quote unquote advisory, quote unquote the death of the, the death of uh, compliance, compliance, which was never. Never a death of compliance at all. No, um, but all those conversations, right? Like we always wanted, we always were like, what's going to be the the trigger that finally gets people to to, to kind of start to look at this? Mm. And we figured it would be MTD, or we figured it would be technology, or zero, or something like that. And actually, mm. what it was 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 you know uh, uh, something coming out of of. Asia that we never even Nowhere. expected yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, completely yeah. changed the whole world yeah. in a, in two weeks yeah. in two in two or three weeks the yeah. whole world completely changed and a lot of those tech changes like look at work from home work from home is fascinating every every person that ever worked for a business wanted to wanted more flexibility in their work but but banks accountancy firms whoever even tech firms were like mm, we still want you in like five days a week mm. like the pandemic comes along and now work from home is not only a thing it's the thing mm. it's like flexible working is what everyone now wants it's why we have this great resignation if you're not going to enable me to to be to have a similar work-life balance that i had before then i'm going to find that somewhere else mm. if you're not going to be able to provide me with the advice and support i need I'm going to find that somewhere else. Mm. Mm. So I, 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 I want to pursue a little bit more about that flexible working piece in a second, but I, it occurs to me that you knew, you mentioned the word uh, cadence and I think frequency of contact res- during the pandemic between the accountants and business owners has resulted in more business owners better connected to the numbers, taking the 11% pre-pandemic, 35% post-pandemic connected to a forecast 
then you go, oh, is there something in the fact that if you see, talk, communicate with your clients more often, they'll buy more higher value services from you? Is it is it as basic as I'm making it out there or do you, do you, do you buy into that? Yeah, I've always said this. I've always said that, like, I, I was reading a great, uh, a couple of great comments on, on LinkedIn yesterday. As you know, I, I like a bit of LinkedIn. Um, spend a bit of my time on that. And um, I was reading a great comment by an accountant in a forum. And, and they said that one of their clients came to them and said, oh, I found I found someone that can do what you do cheaper elsewhere. Will you match the price? And they're like, no, <laughs> we absolutely won't. Because it's not doing what we do. It's not the advice and support and knowledge and connections that we have. Mm. All they're offering to do is, 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 is do your account and, and maybe, a, you know, a, a rudimentary forecast or something like that, right? Mm. So, so it, the value is, it's, it's, there's a great quote from Patrick Frigo at Zero from years ago, where he talks about the, 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 value of advisory i'm gonna while we're talking i'm going to dig this out because it's one of my favorite quotes yeah do. um so yeah. i will find it um but it's, it's that whole thing of absolutely the value the, you know the more value you can add the better the, the more people are likely to pay there's a ceiling there's always a ceiling there's there's means and and, and everything else sure um you know like but if you can if you can make yourself invaluable, then you are invaluable. You know, mm. people will see that value and, and, and respect for that value and pay for that value. It's why it's why I, you know, I choose to go on holiday where I go, not necessarily because it's the cheapest, but because I know that with Centre Parks, you go there and it's relaxing, it's pretty hassle-free, it's very safe, and, you know, they don't allow stag parties in. You know, it's it's, it's <laughs> simple things like that. But it's simple things like that, right? If like, how many times have you been on a holiday and and some some yeah. like and hey, I I drink, I'm like not you know loads, but like someone comes along and bumps into you and like spills a drink on you or or you know or it's really yeah, okay. loud. I mean, I know yeah. that's ironic coming yeah. from me, but um, but it's 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 that thing where you just kind of go, well, you know, I like that kind of that value I get from it, and it, it's concurrent with the price. And so if I'm getting a service that, that's helped me understand my numbers, help bring my numbers to life, help them sing to me, then absolutely there will be value within that mm. because you've shown me the value within that. Mm. It demonstrated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gonna, and it's gonna, about demonstrating it, right? Yeah, yeah. You I was, was going to pose the question is, what, what is in that value equation between the business owner and the accountancy advisory firm that has the business owner conclude that you're invaluable and doesn't even look for an alternative provider, an alternative uh, accountancy firm. And so you go, right, yeah, under help me understand the numbers. Um, I think, based on what you said earlier, that's not just once a year. No, it's it's absolute, and it, it definitely shouldn't be once a year because, I, you know, I, I always use within my um, kind of the education stuff I, I used to do at, at Capitalise, I used to um, I used to always say that look if you imagine that you so I, I always I was like stepping back a sec I always kind of point out that how accountants are trained traditionally is very technical mm. and not particularly emotional human yeah right? not particularly yeah. human yeah. not particularly human right it's, it's all about it's the a numbers, technical not about training. the human bit yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so when we come along, 
as capitalized as, as I was, and we come along and say, look, we want you to talk to your clients about funding. And they go, mm, that's so far out of my wheelhouse and my training. I don't know how to do that. Mm. So I, early days, I said, well, how can we demystify that? How can we make it simple? How can we make it easy? And I, I came up with something really simple. And it is like the most basic thing in the world. And it is this. It's ask your clients a minimum of twice a year, tell me about the plan for your business over the next six to 12 months. Mm. That's all you need to do. And 99% of businesses will happily talk you through their plans. And from that, you'll be able to see where you can help them with funding or or whatever else you do. Because it's yeah. not just about, and I always make this point, it's not just about helping them with my product or whatever product. It's about helping them holistically. Mm-hmm. And if it's not about what I do today, that's fine because we'll get to that. But if you do that, if you did that in February 2020 and you asked the business what are your plans for the next six to 12 months and you didn't ask them in August... I mean, that's a different story, right? That's yeah, like yeah. the start of Game of Thrones and the Red Wedding. It's it's a completely different, like, you know, all of a sudden there's a big plot twist in the middle of that and you've missed it. And and I think that's um I think that's crucial. And I think, in fact, if anything, uh, yeah, a minimum of four times a year, because so much can change in a business in 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 a month, let alone mm. six months or mm. or twelve months. But if you're only doing it once a year, I mean, I say it flippantly, but you almost just barely worth bothering, right? It's you're paying lip service. Mm. It's like, yeah, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done, I've asked, a, I've asked a client how they're going to be, and apparently they're going to be fine this year. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not quite, not quite sure what fine this year means, but like, let's let's, let's just take that on its uh, its head. That quote, yeah. by the way, Paul from from Patrick Frigo, global partnership manager at Zero from the Accounting Business Expo in 2019. True advisory is about more than simply printing and emailing a monthly report pack. While technology is an invaluable tool and an enabler in delivering effective advisory services, it's not the answer alone. Instead, advisory lives in human communication, the interpretation of data, translating jargon into relatable language, and genuinely having your client's best interests at heart. I mean, if that's not if that's not like like if that shouldn't be printed on every every wall of every advisory firm like because because mm. that's the other thing right like and i'm sure we won't need to get into what what advice and what that is but if if your definition of contacting a client four times a year or twice a year is, is throwing them a report pack and mm. saying here you go here's your business again it's not really it's not really doing anything but sending them a, a letter or mm. sending them a bill because it doesn't really it doesn't really do very much. No, so in, I think, uh, you know, you, you, uh, yeah. and I know you don't say things particularly glibly, but, you know, help your clients understand the numbers sounds a bit glib. Actually, because you were head of education at Capitalite, it's educate your clients on how to use the numbers, not just yeah. the numbers, how to use them so they make yeah. better decisions. So it's an education piece. So it what is. we're saying is advisory is an educational role. Yeah, it is. It's, Isn't it? it's not about sales, and and this is the thing that always frustrates me is I don't want to I don't want to sell software to my clients. I don't want if if I don't want you to sell software to your clients. Mm. I want you to to understand your clients, and and then understand and and then use the right tools to help you solve their challenges or help them solve their challenges which is more powerful right because you know the old you could lead a horse to water um but you know i think what you need to do is is help them solve their challenges Mm. and 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 not just educate them in in what to do 
but educate them in how to do it, how to mm. understand it, mm. and what's available for them to do it. Mm. Um, and not every business owner will will be able to do that. But so yeah, you, yeah. you take it to different levels. You you you. But what what you absolutely you know what you absolutely shouldn't be doing is just chucking a report pack over the fence and and just going there you go, done it. Yeah. Done it. I've done it. Tick box. I've I've ticked that one. Right. What's next? Because yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I get sent stuff all the time, and and I have a pretty low attention span at the best of times when I'm reading stuff, and I just go, mm, thanks, very much. thanks. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't yeah, add yeah. value, and that's the first thing that when I go, am I valuing that service? Well, what do mm. I get from them? Are they email me twice a year? Mm. Mm. I yeah. Mean, yeah. No, okay, and, and I think you know you're, what you're saying, and, and what comes through in that uh, quote from Mr. Frigo is that this is an uh, it's a holistic view of the business around which the numbers explain some of that, but also guide and influence decision making. Yeah. So there's the holistic perspective, there's the interactive perspective, and in there lies a whole raft of value, perceived value that you, it d- doesn't equate to. I think a lot of accountants perspective on the values connected to the service they deliver whether it be payroll or audit or bookkeeping or forecasting or whatever it is the the values in the service line but what you're saying and I agree with you is no 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 and what frigo's saying as well is no 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 the real value there is value in all of those things there is value in compliance absolutely but there's even greater value in the education the decision making the actions and so on yeah, and like I always, I always relate back to when I had a business many years ago, and I was a terrible business owner, awful, like really rubbish. And I tried to do my own accounts, and I cannot tell you the the mess I got myself into. Mm. Um, and you know, I needed to. I, I went to an accountant. They charged me a f- probably more than I would have paid if I'd have gone to them. Uh, initially um, in the first place but yeah. in the first place but yeah, what I did was I got them to show me what to do and, and educate me around that so I didn't I didn't necessarily need to rely on them so heavily the next year so I could take a grasp of my numbers and take a grasp of what I needed to do and and that was transformational for me it was I, I saw like I, there was two levels of value there the first level of value was the fact that they got me out of a very deep hole of my own creation um but the second level of value was they, they showed me how not to get into that hole again and how to kind of be better at what I did. And, you know, happy days, right? I walked away from that going, yeah, there was a, a, a cracking bill on that one. But actually, I feel like I've probably got more out of it than they gave me sure. in terms of the long run. And therefore, and that, high perceived value. But it's yeah, interesting, just, value. Just, just taking that analogy, is, is the, if every accountant advisor's role is a blend of helping the client cure problems but also help clients prevent problems and then turn that on its head and then also benefit from the opportunities that those businesses face then 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 we may be uh, uh, filtering a a reasonably strong definition of what advisory actually means because that doesn't mean anything to anybody does it no oh so i always uh, great I, i always talk about pain versus symptom yeah and what we do a lot as software providers, um, and what what people do a lot, especially with funding, and and it's it probably in other areas, but funding especially, is we solve we help cure symptoms brilliantly. We are we are the very definition of an amazing ibuprofen. 
that just that just solves the symptoms and we go great thank you brilliant we've done that we've done that job but we don't often stop to understand the real pain what's causing those challenges mm. and until you understand the pain you're never actually solving the problem you're just putting a sticky plaster on top of it or you're you're taking a, a pill to to mask the pain but you know I, I three four or five months ago i ended up in hospital ended up in hospital because they thought I was having a stroke. Now, I'm 45. It was pretty unlikely. But, you know, all the signs, numb arm. Yeah, it can happen, right? But numb yeah, arm. Yeah, like, seven-year-olds have like, strokes, yeah. It, so I was rushed to hospital and, and I, I went for all the, all the standard rigmarole tests, blood tests, everything else. And it turned out that it wasn't. Um, what it ended up being was the fact that I tweaked something in my neck from play fighting with my daughter. I mean, how embarrassing. My daughter's 12. And my daughter basically put me in hospital. She lives off that one now. But of course. We, we, we were play fighting and I obviously tweaked something. And But I was just the I was just solving one... I was just solving the symptoms. Mm. It took a long time to understand what the pain was. A lot of tests, a lot to get there. But when we understood it, mm. it was physio, correct posture, better office chair... No, no more headlocks, unfortunately, and yeah. and and we solved the pain. And since then, it's been absolutely fine, and I'm back to like my healthy self. Mm. If I hadn't have progressed that and kept looking at what trying to find out what that was, mm. I'd still be treating the symptoms of that today, and I'd still be limiting myself physically because of that. Mm. A very good definition, a very good example of pain versus symptom. Right? We need to solve the pain rather than just addressing the symptom. Hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I'm just playing with that, uh, that educational element, Phil. You know, if, if an accountant and advisor is going into any client, and to a degree you could signpost this towards team members as well, but let's just stick with the client perspective, is if, if, you, if you're curious, uh, committed, care, to understand, educate yourself and help educate the client in and around the problems, the causes of those problems. Uh, therefore, you've got a, a greater depth of a relationship and understanding of what's going with the client, of, of which part of that is the numbers that signpost both the causes and the problems. Um, you're going to be in a pretty good high value perceived position in the client's heart and mind, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, look, um, who's not going to... Who's not going to value that level of service? Who's mm. not going to want to, you know, within again, within means and and what's there? But but like any anyone that runs a business, their eye is always on the bottom line. Okay, they, they run that business for ultimately to, to make a profitable, successful business, mm. unless they're a charity or, or, or social enterprise or, or whatever. But but ultimately, most businesses there to, to, to make money, to, to, to put the business into a position where at some point they can sell the business, retire and, 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 and move on. Mm. If, if, you can, if you can add substantially more than you cost, then I'm like, you're not going to look around for, for someone else. Like if someone come along, I can do it cheaper. Well, can you though? Because you're going to question it and you'll go, actually, can you? Can you help me? Can you have these level of conversations? Or are you just saying that you can hmm. get me dexed for, for £5 a month yeah. less than what I'm paying now? Sure. It, 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 it seems so obvious, yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's there's it, it, two words that uh, encapsulate both approaches. One's there's, is there a transactional value with the client or is there a relationship value with the client 
Relationship once a year is an oxymoron, in my view. <laughs> how, how can you, you know, you, you don't have a relationship with your other half once a year. Um, and we, we probably don't need to unpack that one, but um, <laughs> um, it's transactional. Once a year sounds like transactional. You know, four times a year to take your perspective, you know, quarterly check-in or a, at least a half-yearly check-in, you, you, you're you moving into the territory of demonstrating value four times a year or twice a year, four, you know, and all of a sudden you go four times a year. But um, Phil, there's, I think we might have talked about this before. If you look at, um, uh, there's a firm in the US that's got a thousand clients and just been valued at, now a thousand clients. So if you're a small firm, you might go, well, I've got a quarter of those. I've got 250 yeah. or I've got a 10th of those. So you can, or you might be a large firm and you've got 10,000 clients. But however you look at this, thousand clients, uh, if you look at their website, uh, the average fee, guessing, looking at the way their prices and their services work, probably about fifteen thousand, twenty thousand pounds. Well, dollars. It's an American company. Dollars. Uh, so let's say twenty thousand. Because the math is easy. So you've got a thousand clients, twenty thousand average fee. Um, oh, they're doing twenty million in fees. What's the cap value of the business? Well, it, it was reported in the middle of last year that the cap value was $1.2 billion. And you go, what? How does that EBITDA multiple equation connect with any other firm in the world? Well, it's valued at that because uh, Jeff Bezos has just invested $100 million of his own money in Pilot.com. So if you pull up Pilot.com's website, you go, well, that website doesn't look a lot different from the vast majority of Absolutely accountancy not. websites, except... There's a little thing which says, we'll talk to you every month. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll share some really meaningful numbers every month. And we'll help you make decisions every month. And it's that's they've built a relational model that Jeff Bezos thinks is worth a lot of money. Well, and he's not he's not particularly daft when it comes to making money. <laughs> he's he's absolutely not. And and you're 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 totally right. And like I I think the the one thing that the, the, the kind of I always I always found most interesting is I went to see um I went to see a business once and I walked in the door and when I walked in the door I, I sat down with the guy and said look you know talk me through the the firm what your plans what, what are you looking to do and he goes to be fair I'm not interested in doing anything else um I'm I'm selling up I'm I don't want to do all this MTD stuff I'm getting out. And I said to him, I said, okay, that's fair. I mean, what I was actually in my head saying is, you could have told me this before I travelled two hours to see you. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, in my head, as a software salesperson at the time, sure. I was like, oh, well, that's a, that's a, that's a journey I'm not going to get much out. But I, I, I unpacked it as a learning experience. And I, I said to the guy, I said, well, so what are you looking to get for your firm? And he gave me a multiple. And I was like, yeah, that's not, that's not going to happen. Mm. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, like, you've got, Clients are all on desktop. You're not speaking to them very often. You're not doing much for them very often. Every one of those clients could quite easily walk out the door and, and, and get what you give them somewhere else, but probably better. Hmm. You've got a business that, that doesn't really have a, a client base that, that's valuable to anyone. Because hmm. anyone that, that, that gets that client base, is they're going to then have to bring them on to cloud, hmm. up to digital, unpick all of those kind of decisions you haven't, you've deliberately not made. Hmm. And in fact, by, by doing what you've done, you've actually probably devalued your business rather than added value to the business. Hmm. And he, he didn't overly appreciate my, my assessment of it, but... <laughs> but you've um, got your own back, Phil. <laughs> but, I, but do you know what, though? Like, genuinely, uh. about a month later, he phoned me up and he was like, 
I want to talk to you about getting some software in, involved. What would you recommend? I planted a seed and whilst it was nothing to do with what I was working on at the time, I, I gave him some advice, connected him with a few people and, you know, I, I don't know what happened to him in the end, but I'm pretty sure that a couple of years later he was kind of in a much better position than, than he was at the beginning. Sure. That advice goes two ways, right? Like, like you know, if you're giving advice, you've got to take advice and listen to advice and, and, and go out there. And, and, and I always think, that, like, I get asked a question a lot, who's doing it well? It's like, who can I go and talk to about this? And that's that's something I've always been good at being able to, to signpost people. So, well, look, go and, this firm is great at this. This firm is great at this. Mm -mm. I can make a connection. You're in different parts of the country. You're not a competitor. It's fine. Um, you know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because because yeah, I think I think there is a, there is an assumption that I don't have to do it because I want to get rid of. I don't. I, I'm looking to sell up. But actually, if I was, if it was me, I'd want to put that that book in the most expensive, best position possible because mm. that instantly means it's more valuable mm. yeah and that yeah. goes back to that amazon jeff bezos pilot.com piece yeah. if they were just just flogging software and and it was once a year and and like you know they were still on some form of 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 quickbook quickbooks desktop or or even worse mm. you know like some real kind of old desktop software you know jeff bezos would never have invested that yeah, kind yeah, of money yeah. in that and, and i think there's uh, and, you know, I, I picked up on this thanks to a, a conversation with excuse the name drop but uh, uh, with uh, ron baker in a, a podcast just a few weeks back and um and, and and ron was very much talking about uh it's one thing to build a service and get paid by monthly direct debit it's a completely different thing to deliver a genuine high value subscription accountancy yeah. and advisory service which is what i think jeff bezos has invested in in pilot.com yeah. because and of the monthly interaction physical personal relational interaction which has got an education piece to pick up on what we're talking about around the numbers decision making actions accountability and so on now i'm speculating a little bit because it doesn't give a lot away on the on the website but you go but you've got well, to, i mean you've got to assume that's the that's his wheelhouse right is, is that kind of and and again like and you talk about subscription and you talk about value it's interesting this week like cost of living crisis is, is really biting globally and in the UK and, and Netflix have seen their first negative subscriber growth ever. Um, there, there are now people that, that have been on the fence with that value piece and gone, I'm now getting not getting the value out of Netflix that I need, mm -hmm. so I'm going to cancel it. Right. So everyone is now looking at that value. Everyone's now looking at that and, and kind of going, what am I, what am I truly getting for my money? Right. Mm. Like, and 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 am I really am I really getting a service that I want to pay for? I'm happy to pay. I think personally, I think the boldest move you could do is say, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna charge you. Like every at the end of each month, you tell me what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. Like this is what I think I'm worth. You pay me what you think I'm worth around uh, like based on what I think you should be paying me. Pay me what you think. Have I provided yeah. you with value that month? Is there? And I would quite I would ask the question: Is there? more than maybe a handful of accountants in the UK that could actually do that. That could yeah. actually turn around and say, you pay me what you pay me due to the value I've bought you, you this month. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and how many could boldly do that in the UK? And if, if the answer is few or, or, or none, then I would suggest that, that we, if we're not confident in the value that we're bringing to, to clients, then I can guarantee you the clients 
aren't comfortable of the value that you're bringing to them and therefore yeah. they are a risk to you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not suggesting that as a business model. But, you sure, know. sure, sure. But, but, but it does, it, I think it's a fascinating question, Phil, on the grounds that actually if uh, the, the uh, accountancy manager leader listening to this podcast goes, yeah, we need to review our value equation, what it actually means. Now, there's, there's another podcast discussion um, a, a few months back with um, Paul Kennedy from O'Byrne and Kennedy in just north of London. And um, Paul makes a brilliant uh, point around some things have got a transactional value, some things have got transactional and relational value, which is the you know what people like to call value add. I think it's values in there. Then you add on and bolt on compliance. That's my slight shift on that one. But um, what if there was each annual fee cycle? There's actually a value assessment. That's Paul's point. Is yeah. You know, invest some time in determining the value the client's getting and have that influence the price you charge. Well, you know, each year we get that breakdown of, of where our council tax goes. You get that little letter mm. through the post. No, or your income tax, isn't it? You get, you've paid this much, like X amount goes towards the police, X amount goes towards social care, X amount goes towards schools, this. whatever. Yep. Yeah. Why, doesn't, why don't we do that? Why don't we each year send you a, a report back of kind of like you've paid this and mm. this is the value that we've brought to you. And, and again, I would suggest that not many people will be comfortable doing it. And if you're not comfortable being able to do it, then I would be not concerned, but I'd certainly be aware that mm. you, you're you on that Netflix line, right? Like, like yeah. you've got to... Don't get me wrong, when Stranger Things Season 4 drops in a couple of weeks, Netflix subscribers, yeah. straight back <laughs> up again. Everyone that yeah, unsubscribed yeah, yeah. will be straight we'll back, back to back watch in. that. Because yeah. that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, and you can't do that. You can't like unsubscribe from your accountant for a month, and then two months later, when you need to do your, your end of year, you, you phone them up and go, "Can I subscribe again?" It doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the whole point is it it's it's annualized value. Um, some months will be more, some months will be well, less. Yeah, and I I, I, I want to pick up on that because if you do that itemized <laughs> thing, what um, what you do is, oh, we had a conversation for seven and a half minutes about pricing, which that which resulted in you changing the way you run your discount processes. And the way you price, so you've moved to three option pricing for the sake of argument and all of a sudden everyone was paying 15% more, um, which has paid off to the tune of £150,000 in net profit to your business. But it was only a seven and a half minute conversation. Itemising those things isn't possible. I, I, I posed that question to Mr. Ron Baker yeah. and he said, well, that's the power of having a high value, high delivery uh, proper subscription monthly subscription service which and i think the point you're making phil is deliver every month yeah which by the way is what pilot is saying they'll do yeah and it and it, do you know what like like i i was when i was in rbs i uh, i i was a relationship bank manager so i had a a portfolio of high net worth clients and what i learned very quickly is all of them were paying a fee mm-hmm. all of them had various amounts of money in the bank or mortgages or, or, or whatever it was, but every single one of them had different needs. My, you know, my, my MPS score, my, 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 my satisfaction score, score yeah. was yeah. always, always kind of top class within the bank because, not because I, I had a, a special source or I was, I had a, something that I particularly was doing that no one else was doing. Yeah, in magic fact, bullet. No magic bullets. Yeah. No magic bullets. In fact, I would argue that I was doing less than everyone else which is an interesting challenge because mm-hmm. what I was doing is I'd worked out what everyone needed 
And within my portfolio, I knew who were the high touch, the medium touch, the low touch, who, who were the ones that needed a coffee every month, who were the ones that needed golf every month. Not that I play golf, but, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Sure. You know, who were the ones that kind of where the opportunity was and where they, they needed that kind of different relationship. And then you mm. bespoke your relationship to, to, to that. Now, it's not possible to do with all clients, right? Yeah. But it, 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 the point is I understood my clients. Mm-hmm. I understood who they are, what they do, mm-hmm. what motivates them. And when you understand that, you've kind of got a better idea of how you can service them and, and what their perception of your value is. And for most of them, genuinely, the the most of them were, were I just want a mobile number if I need to phone someone. Mm. And that was value. And if I picked up the phone within three rings they'd be super happy. And if I didn't, I'd get back to them in X amount of time. Super quick, yeah. Yeah, it's like, or sometimes I'd, I'd phone them back and say, look, I'm just in a meeting at the moment. I've just mm. popped out the meeting. Um, I'm going to finish in half an hour. Give me 10 minutes to grab a coffee. I'll give you a call back when I when I, when I can get to a desk. And they're like, yep, that's absolutely no yeah. problem. And I think what you, what, you, what you describe in there, Phil, is tapping into the, it's the emotional payoff to those clients is valuable. Yeah. The yeah. reassurance, the certainty, the confidence that you will respond is, is there's an emotional payoff, which is hard to put on a line item piece, but is always, I would argue, a, 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 got a higher perceived value than maybe the bookkeeping service you're delivering. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, it's that understanding that, and, and I, I still think there's a big educational piece for, on, on my shoulders, your shoulders, everyone in the profession around how do we become better educators so that as as an as a profession, the accountancy profession is better at educating themselves, better at educating clients, at making better decisions. Contro- controversially, I would say that we need to start at the beginning, and we need to look at how we educate and grow accountants. Because mm. if you if you you know we know from like growing trees, plants, big one right? there, Phil, big one. Yeah, but it, but it's it's that thing where if 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 you if you are training people on Sage Fifty and you are, mm. are kind of te- training on that technical side and then throwing them into firms where, mm. like, no one uses Sage and and that is not a thing, then, yes, you've, you've, you've trained to a point, you've trained the technical, but actually you're not getting people ready for... for it's like if you, tra- if you train me on a work. golf... Yeah. yeah, if you train me on a golf buggy and then day one I'm driving an HGV, I'm going to mm. crash. And I'm probably taking the building out with it, right? So sure. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd twist the metaphor slightly and go, well, if you're training me on driving the buggy and then you put a, a customer next to me to drive around and yeah. I can't have a conversation with them of any merit or value so that they enjoy the journey, they're not going to want to come back to our club. No, they're not. And, and, and uh, I'm not going to also, I'm not going to enjoy what I do. And there's a lot of people leaving, like you spoke to um, Paul Loder from, from previously from accountant to... to, to Dext. To He's not the only one. Like there are a lot of people are coming out of the profession and into like associate like, the technology side mm. because for many reasons, but because you know, like you will lose people if you don't empower them, if you don't educate them, mm-hmm. if you don't give them the skills from day one for the market that it is now. And it mm. is a very different industry to what it was even six years ago and ten years before that. And and yeah, I think sure. if if you want to get to that value piece, you've got to start training people up from like Peter, Peter accountant Peter Jarman down in Shoreham. PJ Co. Yeah, yeah. He like so he brings in young grads, puts them through their training, 
molds them, models them, grows them, and then and then they leave and then and they then go on to like other Lettland. firms. Yeah, and he, he's very proud yeah. of that, isn't he? Yeah, and he loves that. He loves the fact he yeah. brings people in, he trains brings them, them he, he brings them on, brings them up, and then they leave to go on to other jobs in bigger accountancy firms, or fi- and or they take those yeah. or fintech companies, and they yeah. take those skills. And and that kind of different way of looking at it, mm-hmm. that to me is that to me is the, a brilliant way of doing things. And and actually, if you want to dig into that even more, he actually gives ownership of the clients and almost a mini P and L to each client from that business perspective. Yeah. So not the only do they own the ones, yeah, no. yeah they own the client, they own the relationship, they own the success, mm. and. The more successful they are, the more successful they are individually, but also the more successful the business is, and so on and so on and so on. And it's yeah, why yeah. he runs, like, I think he's a, it's a fascinating way of running a firm because it's no, it, very it, different it, to a lot of other people. It is. He was on our first, the first podcast of the Humanise the Numbers series. So I, I, I hold Peter in very high regard. Um, yeah, it's someone I've known and, for and years. Actually, like, I, I was going to say that the, 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 this conversation's neatly morphed from the value equation <laughs> for clients, those human beings, to the value equation for our team. Mm. You know, the people who are actually doing the work within the, the firms and, and, and your point earlier around, you know, working from home, hybrid working, whatever, is the value equation in all of our team members' eyes has shifted radically. Yeah. And if we ignore that, we run the risk of not just clients walking, but team members walking. By the way, um, it's a harder, harder world recruiting good new high quality people than it is recruiting new clients and and also and and i've seen this uh, i've always been in kind of quote unquote sales roles even like the education piece at, at capitalize is effectively a sales role with a different hat on sure. um it might not be selling a product but it's certainly selling the, the how to make the most of the product yeah it's an influencer um, role isn't it yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. selling is influencing which is what the human human beings do very well Absolutely, but so I think not only do you when you lose you you don't only lose staff, but you lose those relationships. And I mm. think I think historically, that's probably one of the reasons why we've we you know business owners, firms, accountancy firms, sales firms, whatever it is, they try to minimise that relationship, minimise the humanness of the relationship, and minimise the risk. Yeah, and minimise the risk. Yeah. So they take they look at it from that perspective of actually if we don't allow that relationship, then if that person leaves, it's a technical role. So yeah. I could replace you with someone else who can do that technical role and, the and there is no know. risk to the business. Yeah. I think that's completely the, the wrong way of looking at it, right? Like it's like if you're again, you know, build that relationship, keep the person, you don't have to worry about the client at the end of the day. Um, you just focus on on because the value piece has to go both ways. You have to you can't just be doing the most boring, laborious, done, done. Well, you know, you want people want to have those, understand those businesses. Um, and the more they understand the businesses, the more they understand how they can help them, the more they understand they can help them, the more they enjoy doing it, the more they enjoy doing it. The, and then, of course, you've got to make opportunities for, for them to grow and, and, of and earn and, and everything else. But of course. Which, and then and that, that brings us back to what's the value equation for the client so that you earn the right to grow your firm and therefore you can grow yeah. people and you've got a. Uh, you know, and, not not the vicious circle that goes down, but that aspirational. Yeah, it's, you can grow, you can grow your so, team and your clients, and, your and if you get that right, where you're growing both at the same time, yeah, and they're both going up together, then then you know the client becomes more valuable. You can, you know, when it gets to a point, you can say, look, you're now at a point where I like I used to do it with with people in in the bank. I used to hand them off when I hit a certain level. 
It's like, well, actually, you now need to go to someone else because I can give you that, but I can't give you the technical side that you need now. Mm. So I'm going to pass you on to this guy. I'll arrange a meeting. We'll have coffee together. He'll be great because I'll vouch for him. He's awesome. Um, and I'd pass that relationship off. And then I'd go back and I'd, I'd nurture more relationships and I'd, yeah, I'd yeah, pass yeah. them off. And they so become he, more he, valuable to the business. Here's a, a, bit, it's a bit of a chicken and egg uh, question, really, I guess. Um, or is it Caps 22? I think it's a chicken and egg conversation. It is. <laughs> uh, which one's the priority, Phil? Um, work out how to deliver a, a valuable working experience to team members. Or is it working out how to deliver high value to clients? Which one comes first? I know, it's, it's, so it therefore is a bit of a chicken and egg question. Yeah, I think if you're doing the second, the first is almost baked into it. So if, so you're, if building... you're doing the develop a value equation for your team, that's almost a natural consequence of that is actually you'll do the a value job your looking after your clients. Yeah, yeah. Right. because I think, I think if, you, if you start looking internally first, and this is why, like... Um, you know, you look at the, the businesses that are uh, kind of considered to be best culture, best employers, and, and they they generally have low churn metrics. They generally have low, like, uh, no retention issues. They, they generally have those, they've solved those problems. Because yeah. if you create if you create a business where it's, so rather than looking at chicken or egg, look at it as, I always think of looking at it as a circle. And so it's a 360 circle. Mm. One can't exist without the other. You can't create a high-value customer proposition without a high-value team that can deliver. Yeah. And you can't de- develop that without... The- and so so unless you've got both in place and you're looking at sure, it from sure, a sure. 360 perspective, it, yeah. it, it just it will never work. Yeah, it's, yeah, not yeah. A, it's not an and. It's not even an or. It's a both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- I, I'm, I'm, I'm relating back to a famous story. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, I think, about uh, Ritz-Carlton, the, you know, high-grade hotel group, yeah. international hotel group, bought a hotel from another uh, company uh, out somewhere in the Middle East. It might be been Abu Dhabi. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, so don't quote me on that one. Uh, and they had, um, within the current financial year, a, a, a budget to invest in the hotel. They had to make a decision as to whether they invested it in vamping up the reception for customers or the staff entrance, the team entrance. And they concluded that actually, if they invested in the team entrance, the knock-on impact of the way the team looked after the clients would make sure that um, they'd do all right. And, and I'll, I'll put a, there's a business breakthrough on this. I'll stick it in the, uh, in, in the show notes for this. But it's, um, it's that, and I've just, just, just got off a, um, a podcast, which will be either a couple before this one or a couple after, I'm not sure, with um, Scott Heath from DJH Mitten Clark. And I wanted to speak to Scott about business development and because he's a high growth firm. I mean, gone from 70 employees to 275 in just over two years. That's, that's you know, pretty... It's not, not bad, is it? Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, ultimately, this business development conversation result, revolved around the solid foundation for that is a value pro- proposition to take our language on this podcast uh, for the team. Yeah. Creating a culture and an environment that sponsors their willingness to volunteer their whole selves to the work that they're doing. And as a consequence, they keep clients, sell more to existing clients, win new prospects thanks to recommendations and referrals from both introducers and from existing clients. It's, I always think, right, if you, you, can, you can get as many people to fill up your, the apartments in your building 
as you can. And there's always people that will fill up the apartments, right? You'll always be able to put people in the apartments in your building. And even if it's a terrible building, you'll still be able to find people to live in it, right? But if the foundations of that building are, are, are built on paper and sand, at some point the whole thing will collapse. And regardless of how many people you've got in the building or what they're paying you, there won't be a building left to, 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 to go. So you, you, I love the staff entrance analogy. And in fact, I always think that if you make that entrance right, you make the staff experience right, they will even improve the, the, the outside. They'll, they'll be more attentive to detail. They'll go around and they'll pick up a bit of litter that maybe a month ago they'd walked past. They wouldn't have bothered. Yeah. They correct the flowers that are slightly askew because the business takes pride into them. They take pride into the business. The mm. customers then buy into that pride and it, it's kind of that thing. So, virtuous, and I think now more than ever... Virtuous circle, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it is. And now more than ever, you have, to take, you have to take care of your staff because if you don't, someone else will. For sure. And, and, and then you have all the, the risks. The working from home processes that are competitive because ultimately it is a competitive market. <laughs> Ignoring it is uh, is not an option. Would you agree? Yeah, it is. And do you know what? I, I always, it makes me laugh. I, I, I don't know who it was. Um, I, I've heard this story a couple of times. I'm not sure if it's now real or if it's one of those kind of, kind of like things Legendary. that have passed into... Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, like, like, like the day... The day of the pandemic, when when working from home was set to be announced the next day, there were people leaving um, this accountancy firm with an actual desktop computer and a monitor under under each arm and carrying mm. it home on the tube because they, they didn't have laptops. They didn't have computers to enable them to do it. So they're physically carrying that home, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. thankfully, we'll never be in that position again. <laughs> but... It, it's well, I do. Like, I do wonder, though, Phil. Isn't there? there there's a. There, there is, and I'm hearing these tendencies to wanting to get everybody back in the office full time in some firms. That's you know. That's yeah. Out. It's it's like I think I think you can't be fully remote. I oh shouldn't be fully remote. Yeah. I don't think you should be fully in the I office. I agree. I think there should hybrid should be the default normal where you can do three four maybe at the max days in the office a week mm. and then the other days that you get to work remotely work from home work from wherever yeah we've shown we've shown now that 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 you know people are no less in fact probably people more affected i work harder being at home mm. i went to the office yesterday and i'm not joking i didn't really achieve very much because i spent my day catching up with people going for coffee having a chat grabbing a pastry taking the marketing team out for lunch i did yeah. all of this i walked out there and my wife said to me, what did you actually do today and i was like from a practical perspective not very much sure. from a from an emotional perspective i ah. built those emotional connections yeah and, and i think that that's the point functional you versus emotional value yeah Functional versus emotional responsibilities of leaders and managers yeah, yeah. to create an environment that people want to be part of. And and I, I was not there. Not to be and, underestimated, Phil. Like, it's not. And I was there and people would just ask a question. And you, you, So that's the advantage of being in office. Like, I was sat next to George and George was like, hey, look, Phil, can you just have a look at this for me? Like, yeah, no worries, mate. Have a look at that. Yeah. That's cool. So... There is an importance to be in the office, and mm. it really is. And and like it builds teams, it helps education. I can, mm. as a leader, I can listen to what people are doing and coach them mm. on the spot. And, and and it's great to be able to do that. And just just turn around and say, "Hey, look, question. You said that. What was the response to that?" Mm. And they go, "Oh, it's like this. Okay, so cool. So if you'd have flipped that and said said it this way, what do you anticipate the response could have been?" 
yeah, yeah. Those oh, actually, yeah, no. Educational moments. It's yeah, so you do that, moments, it? Yeah. and you can't do that when you're remote because people no. aren't there. Yeah, yeah. But from an emotional, from a, a mental perspective, from a, a physical perspective, I feel so much better. Yeah. Like having that kind of balance because yeah. I've got a bit more time to go to the gym. So I'm now not travelling up to London. I can like a couple of days a week. I can go to the gym, and sure. and that has a knock on effect, and, and so on and so on and so on. And we know the benefits of of work of from home. Of course. I've I've took my school, to, my daughter to school for three out of four days this week and mm. that's kind of nice i don't get to do that kind of stuff anymore um so it's lovely this week um yeah so it's it's those kind of things that, that that are important so i think i don't think we should be fully back i don't think we should be fully out i think a, a robust yeah a robust hybrid and on one of those you know those days we go in and there's like pastries on the table and you're like oh i'm really glad i came into the office today someone's brought some pastries in, or, <laughs> or someone's got some things. pizza today and it's like oh yeah, yeah. love that or, oh look there's some new merch i'll just yeah. grab that love those moments yeah, but yeah. like the freedom to to have that and we've got to start treating people as grown-ups as, yeah. a, as a as a world because yeah, yeah, we've yeah. proven the last two years we can be pretty damn responsible when the chips are against us. we need us. to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, what, what, what fascinates me about this is um, I think there is, and, you know, we've we've gone through this to a degree in our team and I'm seeing it in other teams where there's a uh, there's been a greater degree of selfishness because we've lived for two years in a, you know, right, this is about me, myself, and I in my space. And now we're, we're folding back into integrating into, a, in inverted commas, normal society uh, of behaviour. So part in the office, part at, at home, but we're still carrying the selfish habits into the workspace. Um, and, and that needs to be managed and tackled and accountability around that showing up, uh, which is, is proving uh, challenging, I know, for certain managers and leaders and firms. Um, oh, you, you can't have people coming into work in their pajamas anymore, right? Like, like you know, you can't yeah. sit at your desk with your PJs on at the bottom and a shirt yeah, on the yeah, top. Yeah. But we we ran a we we've been running a, a resilience round table throughout uh, the last uh, twelve fourteen months um, uh, to support all the firms that we connected with, and um, one of the more recent conversations was around what's the right structure for hybrid working. And, you know, ultimately, the, the biggest learning I got out of it was there's one day a week where everyone's in, so everyone can feel connected. Uh, there's a, another yeah. uh, day or two where everyone's required to do it, but not everyone needs to be in on the same day. And then there's optional days where you can be if you're working from home, you can work in the office. So there's, yeah. you know, something definitive and something flexible. And I just thought that was a really healthy way of, of, of looking at it because it taps brilliantly into what I believe is one of the largest, if not the largest, employee survey study ever done by a, an organisation called Sorota. And I'll put this into the show notes as a business breakthrough on this. You know, three things if you want a highly motivated team. Sense of fairness, sense of camaraderie, and a sense of achievement. Achievement, yeah. get the work done, whatever's expected of you. Camaraderie, connect with all your fellow colleagues and feel part of something together, which remotely doesn't work. And um, last but not least, it's fair. So it, yeah. everyone feels as though it's fair. And in there is a really healthy, robust conversation to have everyone to help them see that it's about, yes, get the task done, yes, connect with the team, and yes, you as an individual progress. And if uh, that happens for every individual, they'll feel fair, they'll feel a sense of achievement, and they'll feel a sense of um, camaraderie. So my last question, Phil. Go on. I know we could go on for a long time, you and I. Days. Um, <laughs> of, of everything we've covered on this discussion today... What what one thing 
resonates the most with you that's of real value to accountancy firms that you've interacted with over the last six, seven years? I think the power of education. Um, power of education for your teams, the power of education for your clients, um, and the power of education for you as a leader. Um, I think that if you can unlock that, and 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 it, it goes in different ways, it goes in different forms. But if you can unlock that and and take the approach that everything you do is is not sales, it's not product, it's education. Mm. And what you do when you educate people is you raise the bar, mm. and you carry on raising the bar, and mm. and the the clients the clients understand more, so they're easier to deal with, right? Which means that your your ROI for each client is yeah. low is, is is better because you're not investing as much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means that they, they they see value in because they see their own game being lifted. Mm-hmm. Your team's game gets lifted because they're then they're then doing it better and, and so on and, and so on. See the results as well. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a, it's across the board. Um, oh, and I think I think just the side note of that is, and I had a fascinating conversation with um, a leadership uh, coach expert, um, Alexander Bombonet. I don't know if you. I know, know Alexandra. Alexandra. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah so. So we were talking. We were talking. We had lunch this week. We, we were talking about um, neurodiversity, and we were talking about how that's the next big challenge. The next big challenge as leaders in that education piece mm-hmm. is is kind of we we've kind of we've kind of addressed a lot of this, and we've kind of got to the right place with a lot of this. But one thing we haven't yet done is is how to really unlock the true potential of every one of our team members. And accept and utilize their differences, mm. and utilize their strengths. Value the differences, yeah. And value those, di- and that's it. And I think, like, so education is, is the key, mm. and I, we discussed that today. But I think the next level of that is, and it goes to your clients as well. If you can, if you can now really understand your clients, who they are, like mm. their their persona, their perspective, their their kind of challenges. I'd also say something as simple as their expectations of how and their expectations. If you can understand all of that mm. and 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 kind yeah. of work all of that into it, then I mean, you know, what a what a wonderful place this would be and what wonderful relationships we'd develop and and people would and and this all all goes back to the, the subject that your top your the name of your podcast, right? Like we we do all of that and it humanizes the numbers. It helps everyone understand it better and feel that they're they're in a win-win mm. because they walk out of it and they go, yeah, I've got something. And you walk out and go, I've got something. The firm goes, we've got something. And, and everyone, and that comes from, that comes from education, education, Brilliant. education. <laughs> <laughs> to finish with a political note, I'm not going to let that one go. So, because uh, I know you're a movie buff, what's the best movie you've seen in 2022? Oh, the best movie I've seen in 2022, uh, probably The Batman. If I'm being oh, really? honest, oh, right. yeah, I really enjoyed that. But oh, right. but the second best movie I've seen in 2022, <laughs> embarrassingly, is probably Jackass Forever. And I'll tell you why. Not because not because I've got a for whatever the film is about, but the experience. I sat in the cinema in Brighton Marina with my wife. We were sat in a full audience of people. And I've never sat in an audience where people were so connected to the screen. And people were cheering. They were laughing. When someone got hit in some place that was particularly sensitive, you physically heard people. You you literally heard people go... (laughs) 
And, and like, and when when there was something disgusting coming up, you heard people go, "Oh no, 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 no!" <laughs> and normally you couldn't do that. You can't do that in the cinema. You can't sit there during the Batman and go, "Oh no, 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 don't do yeah, that," because yeah, yeah. it's it takes the mood out. But when when you're having that shared experience and everyone's on the same page and the yeah. movie is of that same level, Brilliant. actually, it, it, it you and and weirdly for a film about people getting hit in their their private parts, which happens a lot, it has a really weird heart to it. Like right. you walk, there is a degree of acceptance, right? It doesn't matter if you're fit, thin, you're fat, you're female, you're male, you're you're white, black, Asian. It doesn't matter who Whatever. you are. Everyone has the ability to shine and be rewarded and be patted on the back and celebrated for mm. their differences, for what they bring, for what they do. I never thought I would get so emotionally attached to a jackass movie, <laughs> but genuinely, I walked out that and I was like, I was like. I haven't felt that affected by a film since I saw Train Spotting Two, wow. which which was again weirdly I saw Train Spotting One when I was a student. I saw Train Spotting Two when I was a forty year old man, mm. and it was about Train Spotting One was about people of that age. Train Spotting Two is about people of that age and the loss of hope and everything you have at that point in your life, right? So to to have that weird connection to a movie and go out and go. But I couldn't call it my best movie of the year, Paul, because I just get no, ridiculed. No, no. So I'm so going with Batman. But what I do love, what I do love there is you say the value of the, that Jackass Forever is the emotional connection that you felt with both the movie, the characters, and the audience, and in there yeah. lies massive value, which has been basically been the main subject matter for this podcast, Phil. Uh, it's been wonderful. Always great to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk to us, and I wish you um, every success at Walter's Clever. Thanks very much, Paul. It's always a pleasure. You'll find more valuable discussions with the leaders of ambitious accounting firms at humanisethenumbers.online. You can also sign up to be notified each time a new podcast is made available. This podcast series, Humanise the Numbers, has been made possible thanks to the support of our sponsors. My Work Papers, Advanced Track, Satago, and VFD Pro. Visit humanisethenumbers.online, click the logo of each sponsor, and you'll hear what our podcast interviewees have to say about the sponsor's services. Here's a short excerpt of a longer conversation I had with Graham Tenick of his 10-year-old firm and how he has a massive impact on a handful of his clients, but is building his whole business around that. If you like what you hear from this snippet, please go to humanisethenumbers.online or go to your favourite source of podcasts for the full Humanise the Numbers conversation with Graham. Insofar as when you chat to a business owner, nobody sets up a business to save tax. Nobody. That, that's never the goal in terms of creating your own business. Instead, they'll chat say, right, this is what I'd love to do. I'd love to have this, that, and you know, I'd do this then, da-da-da-da-da. But then their success is often measured, and the conversation probably with the accountant is led by, what's my tax bill? How do I get my tax bill down? And no mention of anything beyond that. So best you're literally scraping at the bottom level of what the numbers are, and they never tend to get beyond that. And I think it's partially a fear factor, and I think it's partially an education as well, which accountants, we've got a massive responsibility to overcome that. Mm-hmm.